Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. All right, so for this next illustration, I need you to work with me for a minute. Uh, I need you to think or believe or believe me when I tell you that I am excessively rich, okay? You believe me? You believe me? Okay, good. Believe me. And And let's just say this. Let's just say this. Let's just say that during this last large protest that we had in town, Um, I made boatloads of money. Made boatloads of money. Here's how I did it. I did this by buying all the free land and all the land surrounding Swahili. And then you know what happened? When everyone got into an uproar, I went to the municipality and I said, I will graciously donate this to you for four times what it's worth. Also, what you didn't know about me is that I was during this time, a part of the local chapter of the EFF, okay? And I had used some of my financing to pay certain individuals to finance a riot, okay? And my construction company that I own on the side, uh, we decisively picked some targeted areas that we could destroy and then underbid other people on to get the job to rebuild. You're looking at me right now, and you're thinking, wow, Wade, you're you're actually a lot smarter than I thought you were. Yeah, I know. And also, while the businesses in town were suffering, um, I very graciously decided to help them out a little bit. I said that I would pay their rent for the next month if, during uh, the Calfee's Fest and the Whale Fest, they would just give me a small portion of their profit. Like all of it, okay? And I think in that, you see that my actions basically affected everyone throughout all of Hermanus. You're welcome. How would you feel about me? Oh, all that to say that now I have this excess of wealth, and I know all of you, and I didn't share any of it with you. How would you feel about me? Obviously, that's not a real illustration, and yet, something tells me that you and I wouldn't be friends anymore, right? Something tells me that you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. Listen to me ramble on in my self-righteousness. Something tells me that you also probably wouldn't tell your neighbors or your co-workers that you were once friends with me, or if you did that, it would be in a very negative way, right? This is the kind of distrust that someone would have had towards a tax collector in Jesus' day. Just a taste of the kind of distrust someone would have had. See, a tax collector, in some of your translations, might have said something like a customs officer. Okay, so... It's basically like someone standing at the border of Zimbabwe and South Africa and saying, no, 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 you got to wait three hours, or 
you can pay this much money to get through, right? Oh, you want to transport all these goods over the border? Well, yeah, no, you can do that for a price. This is a tax collector in Jesus' day. It was someone that was hired on behalf of the Roman government, not just to go around and say, okay, I need 5% of your income, I need 15% of your income, but this was someone that probably Peter and Andrew and James and John would have known well as they went to go sell fish and they had to give a cut of it to the tax collector. As someone was sailing across the Sea of Galilee and they stopped off there, they would have to pay a certain fee on top of what you owed to the Roman government. And the worst thing about these people is that they were just hired by the Roman government. They weren't even from Rome. These were other Jews. How dare them? How dare them betray their own people like this? For us, it would be something like uh, in some places where a traffic officer doesn't receive a salary, doesn't receive an income. And what does the government say? Well, you know, you don't receive an income for this, but you go out, you price the tickets as high as you want to, we need this much out of it, and you get to keep the rest. Or presidents, or street vendors, or whoever does this. All right, we, we know this. We also know that we don't want to be friends with those people, because those people take advantage of us. Or we want to make sure that we're very close friends with these people. But no self-respecting person would have done that. No self-respecting person would have said, yeah, no, I think I want to make friends with Levi, with Matthew. They would have stayed as far away from him as they could. Three themes that we've been looking at thus far in the book of Mark. A king, his kingdom, and the call to discipleship. That is a constant call and a continual call. It's a constant call that is everyone is called to discipleship. Everyone is called to repent and believe. And remember, it's not an option. It's not saying, you know, if, if you feel like it, you should, you should probably repent because that would be good for you. No, it's a command. Repent, believe. Follow. And then it's a continual call because it's something that in our lives we need the constant reminder of. We need to be continually reminded of. Last week, we looked at the fulfillment of a promise. I don't know if you'll remember, but when John the Baptist was preaching in chapter 1, he was quoting some Old Testament texts that were pretty amazing. And these Old Testament texts were amazing because it told everyone that there was a time coming and has now come that if you turned away from your sins, you had the guarantee of forgiveness. And what did Jesus do last week? He said, you are forgiven. For people that would humble themselves, turn away from themselves and their sin, Jesus declares, you are forgiven. Our big idea last week, Jesus knows and meets your deepest needs. 
you are forgiven. This week, we want to play on that a little bit, and we want to be reminded of what we studied when we read through Isaiah together. God saves sinners. So unless we start thinking, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a pretty righteous person, and I'm so glad that whatever little bit of unrighteousness in me is forgiven. No. God saves sinners. That's you, and that's me, and we are forgiven. But here's our big idea for this week. Jesus called you because he saved sinners. And, here's the hard part, you have been called to be near sinners. Jesus called you because he saved sinners, and you have been called to be near sinners. In verse 13, we see Jesus going back out. Right, we've heard this phrase. We've heard this phrase a couple times um, that this is why I came out. Why? Jesus is here to preach. And yet Jesus is doing lots of miracles, lots of amazing things, and we've been saying that his miracles point towards his message, right? Um, the, the felt needs, the healing of exorcisms, of blindness, of not being able to walk, these felt needs that we have every single day, or later we will see the felt needs of being hungry. Jesus meets those felt needs. Why does he do that? So that you can see your deepest need. And that's exactly what Jesus has been doing. He's been pointing to our felt needs to get us to our deepest need. And in order to let people see this, he's been going out. He's been going out preaching. And we see that he's going back out now in verse 13. And passing by the sea, there sits a tax collector, a customs officer. His name is Levi. And what does Jesus say to him? Follow me. Follow me. In short, Jesus is saying, repent, believe. This is what the call to follow is. It's not something like, just follow me. Like, hey, why don't you follow me over to this place? It's like when my children and I have to cross the street and I say, follow me, or else you're going to get hit by a car and die. Okay? <laughs> this is what the call to follow Jesus is. It's a call to repentance and belief. And then specifically for Levi, it is a call to actually walk, move his legs, and follow him. And that's exactly what Levi does. In Matthew's gospel, we see early on uh, that this Levi also goes by another name, and his name is Matthew, okay? Uh, but, but Mark doesn't share those details with us quite yet. And what do, we, what do we see here? Once again, just as we saw with Peter and Andrew and James and John, we see Jesus approaching someone and commanding them to follow. Much like we saw back in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus' call to repent and believe. And also, I think we see here that, and growing up in church, I just always believed that 
when Peter and Andrew saw Jesus out from the water, that was the very first time they had ever seen this man. Okay? And we've already looked at, that's, that's probably not true. Okay? In fact, Jesus has been a big deal here in Capernaum, right? This is where he's at right now. Maybe uh, at Peter's house, staying. People have been filling up the doorway. People know who he is. And I guarantee you that an influential person, although a, not a great person, like Levi would have known who Jesus is. Levi doesn't just see a stranger and say, oh, well, I'm excessively rich and I'm taking advantage of everyone. I'll follow what looks to be this near homeless man. No, I don't think that's what's in Levi's mind. Levi has probably heard the message up to this point. He's heard what Jesus is preaching. He probably knew Peter, who probably had to pay Levi lots of taxes in the past. Same with James and John, who seemed to own their own business with their father. They probably knew Levi. And Levi here all of a sudden realizes that there is something better for him than riches. Now, here's the strange thing, though. I, I don't know about you, but if I were uh, looking at this Jesus fellow, and I saw uh, some fishermen following him, I would say, okay, well, they smell like fish, but they're okay people, right? They work hard. They're honest. They probably were somewhat good at what they did, or else they would do something else, James and John especially seem to be successful businessmen, in a sense. Um, I would say, okay, this Jesus is a respectable guy. We're calling, or calling uneducated, but respectable people to himself. And just when I think that Jesus is doing okay, what does he do? He calls a tax collector. This despicable man to follow him. How dare he? How dare he do something like that? Look, for a tax collector like Levi, even if he were to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, they, the priest there wouldn't even accept his tithe or his offering because it was dirty money, in a sense. Have you ever seen a church or a religious organization that doesn't accept someone's money? <laughs> right? In fact, I got I to tell this story. So one time, um, it was right when we moved to South Africa, Tara and I went to go visit this church just to get a view of the churches, right? We were going to church at Mountain View, Somerset West, becoming members there, but Pastor Tom encouraged us to go out and see what else exists. And so that's what we did, and we went to one church, and it was an odd church. It was a big church, um, lots of promising of wealth and health and all this good stuff, but here, here was the deal. At the end of the service, it, I, I was totally hoodwinked. It was not a great sermon, okay? And that's coming from someone that's not a great preacher, <laughs> but it was not a great sermon. And uh, just when I thought, okay, well, this is different. It's fine, but it's different. Next thing you know, the second offering's going around, right? Take another offering. Take another offering. And then, the preacher comes back up, not to preach again, but to tell a story. And this story is how they need to build this new and advanced children's wing onto their church building. 
and they needed this much money. And God has blessed them. And how did he do it? He got to church, and there was a gift bag. And in that gift bag, he couldn't even pick it up because there were bricks in it. And so he opened up the bag, and he realized, no, this isn't bricks. It's plastic wrap. What could be inside the plastic wrap? Stacks and stacks of cash. See, if you just serve the Lord, you'll get stacks of cash. But look, here's the deal. Who wraps their cash in plastic wrap shaped like bricks? Drug dealers do that, okay? Needless to say, they accepted the money and they built the children's wing. Okay? That wasn't happening with the tax collectors. This was dirty money. Synagogues wanted nothing to do with them. Other Jews wanted nothing to do with them. And yet Jesus calls one. In verse 15 we read this. And as he reclined... At table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many that followed him. Okay, so the disciples, who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the four that we already know. Now we're talking about Levi as well. But here we see that there are many that followed him. So many, in fact, that there are some people following him that we would not expect to be following him. We're going to meet those people in just a minute. But what's really happening in the scene, because just as Mark likes to do, he drops us into a situation without telling us what's going on. Well, what seems to be happening is that Levi has accepted this call. And in order to accept this call, he's saying, hey, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a party for you. I'm going to throw a party for you, and I'm going to invite all my other tax-collecting friends and all my sinner friends, and I want to show you off. And this is just what he does. You know what Jesus does? He accepts the party. He accepts the invitation. He says, yeah, no, I'll come. And not only that, but this reclining, okay, people did sit up upright to eat. They did stand up to eat. But this reclining is much more casual it's much more making yourself at home. And this is the position that Jesus and his disciples find themselves in. They're reclining at the table of a tax collector, eating the food that has been bought with dirty money. And Levi's essentially saying, yeah, yeah, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'll follow this guy now. Have a talk with him. He's interesting. He's got something to say to you. Was Jesus okay with this? Well, he's reclining at the table, isn't he? One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and you know why this is, but Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, the Son of Man, that is Jesus, came eating and drinking. Okay, Jesus came eating and drinking. Why did Jesus come out? Why did he come out of wherever it was he was at, right? He did this to preach the good news, the gospel. But in the midst of doing this, Jesus came eating and drinking, so much so that others would look at him and say, ooh, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Okay. So I don't know about you, but if you saw me in town, um, just drinking, right? Everyone's buying me food. What would you think about that? 
I'm not saying you're going to see that, right, just boozing it up on a Friday night, okay? <laughs> but what would your first th thought be? Whoa, Wade has fallen off the wagon. He's fallen hard, right? And this is rightfully what other people are thinking right now. Would you not think this? I would think this. We see in verse 16 that Jesus' constant companions, no, we're not talking about just the five disciples now, but we're talking about someone else that is very interested in what it is that he's doing. Very curious about how this message that he's preaching is going to work out. Verse 16, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, now, your first thought, my first thought, because we've been trained to think like this, oh no, here come the villains. Here come the bad guys, right? And Jesus is going to kick those bad guys out of the conversation. He's going to put them down. He's going to put them in their place. But actually, you know what? I, I don't think that we necessarily need to think like that about the scribes and Pharisees. The reality is that um, I would probably be a Pharisee. You would probably be a Pharisee. But they weren't bad guys. Not, not yet, anyway. We're going to see that, yeah, in the end, they deny who Christ is and what he came to do. But for them, this was a real exploration of who this man declared he was. They wanted to know if this really was the Messiah. They wanted to know if this was the man that was going to come and set his people free, that was going to set up a kingdom, that was going to rule and to reign and to kick out the Romans, which is why it's also strange that he would take someone that works for the Romans to be a part of his ranks. Why would he do that? An unrighteous man. See, being seen with these people had the potential, and it did, hurt Jesus' reputation. The Pharisees, or the scribes here, that is the people that helped the Pharisees, that understood the law, their thinking was, no, 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 no. Jesus can't be doing this because... If he's going to be the Messiah, we can't let him become morally compromised. His teaching's going to lose its, you know, it's going to lose a little something. So he says to the disciples, hey, Peter, this guy's reckless. Put him right, right? And Peter tries to do this often. Oh, no, Lord, I would never let that happen to you. Takes out a sword and cuts off a guy's ear. Because Peter, much like the Pharisees, thought Jesus was here to do something like what he wanted him to do. You know, there's something else going on here, and I, this is another story. I, I'm full of stories today, forgive me. Um, I remember when, okay, I love books. I love books. I love big books, okay? The bigger, the better. The heavier, the better. Um, and I remember when we were getting ready to move here to Hermanus, and I'm boxing up all my books. And I have one book, one box of books labeled cookbooks, okay? And I've got another box of books labeled food writing. And Tara comes in and she says, Wade, 
why does this box say food writing? Don't you mean cookbooks? And I say, no, the cookbooks are over there. And Tara says, you have multiple books related, like multiple boxes of books related to food. And then all of a sudden, it's like a couple of boxes and then her, her eyes, the scales fall off and she sees all these boxes stacked on top of each other, okay? Um, but one of, my, one of my favorite food writers, if I can say that, just books written about food. They're not cooking books, so it's strange. Okay, um, <clears throat> I love food, okay? It brings people together. I love reading about food because I think it helps me learn about other people. But you know what else food does? It divides, right? If you go to the Middle East and you say that you're going to eat hummus or hummus, uh, there's going to be a fight brewing, okay? Jews make hummus different then Muslims make hummus. All of a sudden, food becomes political. One of my favorite food authors said, food is political. And the best way to disarm someone and to get to know them is to share a meal of their food with them. See, the implications of Jesus sharing a meal with a sinner, with a tax collector who worked for Rome, was political. And there was righteousness at stake. Jesus' mission was at stake, according to these scribes. So this meal had a lot weighing on its shoulders. But this was not some simple political maneuver for Jesus, as other people narrowly saw it as. This was not to win a certain group of people over, which is what we're doing as churches all the time, right? We're playing different kinds of music, we're talking in different ways, we're leaving out hell or these other conversations that need to happen. Why do we do it? Because we, okay, we just, there's this group of people over here that we really need to reach. And Jesus, everyone's thinking, Jesus, you can't get sinners by acting sinful. What are you thinking? And they're right, but Jesus isn't acting sinfully. Jesus is not acting, sin, acting sinfully. We've seen this the last couple weeks with people's assumptions about what the law actually says and what Jesus is actually doing. Here's the thing. Jesus isn't trying to draw these people in. Jesus genuinely likes these people. I could say love, but we always say Jesus loves everyone. And that's true. But what does it mean to like someone? I can love someone uh, like a family member that drives me crazy sometimes, right? And I can share a meal with them and love them, and then I'm happy to go home at the end of the night and say, "Woo, I'm glad that's done. But if you like someone, you willingly sit down and share a meal with them. You share your life with them. Jesus loves them, and he likes these sinners. Oh, it's not a political maneuver. We already read Matthew eleven nineteen. Jesus, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking. Being a friend, tax collectors and sinners. Well, Paul says in 1 Timothy, the saying is trustworthy and deserves, deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. 
There are reasons why Paul says that. But it's also something that you should teach yourself. You yourself as the worst of sinners. Why? In part, Jesus was willing for you and me to take on the worst of sin on his shoulders. To identify himself as the worst of sinners. Why? So that he could come eating and drinking, being friends to sinners. Actually liking them. Loving them. And giving his life for them. Verse 17, and when Jesus heard it, hold on, they were whispering or they were talking to the other disciples. It could be that Jesus heard them. could be Jesus reads lips. But we also saw last week that Jesus knows what's in a person's heart. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. First of all, yeah, Jesus heard it. How did he hear it? Well, he knows what's going on in the scribe's heart and the Pharisee's heart. He knows what's going on in your heart and in mine. But then we have this very confusing couple of sentences. Now, you probably have been in church enough to have heard this preached before, and that's good, and you probably know what it means, and that's good. But anytime we come to the Word and we just automatically assume that we know what's going on, we're a step behind where we should be we got to come to the Word ready to learn. We read everything with fresh eyes. We hear everything with fresh ears each time. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That is to say that those that are sick do have need of a physician. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And there's a couple of options of how we could read this. The first way would be to read that the Pharisees are fine. They're righteous. Jesus is simply saying that there are also these ones over here, these tax collectors and these sinners, that aren't as righteous as the Pharisees. They need help. I'm going to help them. And you know what? That's actually kind of a true statement. It is. Uh, In fact, these scribes, these Pharisees, As the story goes on, we're going to see that their hearts are changing. But the reality is that they're genuinely waiting on the Messiah to come. And I think that they're genuinely wondering if Jesus is that Messiah. The only problem is that throughout all this time, and as we go forward, they're letting what they believe, their own righteousness that they think is going to save them at the end of the day, get in the way of doing what it is that God called them to in the first place. A second option here is that Jesus is making a larger point. He would not be calling righteous people, uh, that is to say that Jesus doesn't need to call righteous people because there are none. Much like, uh, well, you could say it like Jesus has been going out and healing people, right? Jesus isn't healing well people. And yet I think what we're seeing in this passage is that no one's actually well. 
All people are being called, including the Pharisees. Why else would they be following him around, right? Because <laughs> they know they're being called. In Luke 15, 7, we read this. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Again, that could be read two different ways, but I think we all know what this is saying, right? This is saying that there's no one that righteous. There's 99 people out here that think that they are good enough And yet there's going to be more celebration over one person that realizes their need for Jesus than over 99 people that think that they don't need him. Because as much as these Pharisees, these scribes are wondering, is this the guy? Is this the guy that's going to save us? They're slowly going to keep asking that question so much that they miss who he is. And they're going to lean back on their own righteousness and their own understanding. See, if we have doctrine without devotion, we have nothing. See, these men, they knew their doctrine, these scribes did. And they knew that messing around with these sinners could be hazardous for their health. But what they didn't understand is that they were also sinners in the midst of that. They didn't understand that they couldn't stay pure by staying away from unpure people. If we have our religion and our theology, but we have no personal or communal, that is, as a congregation, experience of that theology, then we do not have it. We don't understand it. To the Pharisees in this room, myself included, What good does it do to keep ourselves so pure? To the sinners in this room, myself included, what good does it do to be placing your faith in anything but Christ? Levi had a pretty good deal. He could take as much money as he needed, when he wanted, and he could live comfortably. But he saw that he needed more. He left it. The Pharisees knew that they were waiting on the Messiah. They knew that they were waiting on a Savior, on a King. And yet, they were so certain that by keeping themselves pure, they could be closer to that king. And yet, what does that king do? He goes and he eats and he drinks with tax collectors and sinners. Pharisees, what should they have learned? What should we learn from this? We should learn something about our mission and the need that is in the world, as well as our own need. We've talked about it before in the context of church planting, but Jews did have a mission. They were to be lights to the whole world to tell people about who Yahweh was, 
and to tell everyone to wait on a Savior that was coming. In this mission, they failed. They couldn't keep themselves pure, let alone anyone else. To the sinner, what should we learn? We already know that we're not keeping ourselves pure. We're just hoping to stay as comfortable as we can for as long as we can. J.C. Ryle, an old theologian, said, the world, in a quote, kind of, the world is more than happy to let you go to hell. The world is more than happy to let you go to hell. And actually, there's very few people in this world, Christians or not, that will tell you about heaven. To the sinner, we can learn that. And another quote from J.C. Ryle to the Pharisee, let it be noted that familiarity with the letter of Scripture is perfectly compatible with gross spiritual darkness. You can know God's Word and be totally lost. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 3, 21-31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So what is this righteousness of God? It's faith in Christ to all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here we see Jesus being showing forbearance. He's not simply passing over the sins. He's letting people know that they are sinners. And yet he's still willing to like them. He's still willing to love them. He's still willing to spend time with them, to be near them, and to save them. Christian, for you and me, you both know that we need Jesus. Every single day, we need Jesus. Every single day, we choose to follow him. We pick up our cross, and we follow him. Whether you think that you're righteous or you think that you're lost, God saves sinners. Jesus called you because he saved sinners. And you have been called to be near sinners. One word of encouragement. This past week I was up at my office in town there. And uh, if you don't know where it's at or... What's going on up there? I don't even know what's going on up there half the time, okay? I only get to be there a couple days a week, maybe one day a week. 
Um, but I'm right next to the tattoo parlor, which always offers up great conversation. Um, and then I'm right down the hall from this beard oil place to make people's beards healthier. I don't know. Okay, anyway, uh, I, I like all these people. I like all these people. Uh, none of these people know Jesus. And just this past week, uh, two ladies that are in a relationship together came into the office space to get a tattoo, and then they wanted to come and talk to me. They wanted to find me because they were upset about the fact that there would even be a church somewhere near a tattoo parlor. And to be honest, I'm in, I'm in work mode. I'm in study mode. I don't have time to fight with someone about something they don't want to listen about. So I didn't. I invited them to sit down and have coffee. And then my friend Kubis, who lives down the hall, or he works down the hall at the beard oil place, I called him down, just because he doesn't know Jesus either. That's a weird circumstance. I'm always trying to find ways to, like, get close to sinners, okay? I'm always trying to find ways to, like, get myself invited somewhere, or to invite others that are always saying, no, I don't want to do that. And then here you go. God literally brings two people into my office, and you know what, they, they don't want to talk. I, I, Finnegan's learning cursive right now. His cursive looks different than mine. And so I sat them down, and I said, hey, can you write this out in cursive? Did you learn cursive here in South Africa? I want to know what the difference is. And it just so happens that they quoted something from our confession of faith in cursive. Because that's what was sitting on my desk. They read it, and then they were cordial. Cordial. We shared coffee. They left, had their tattoo. They were happy. Should I have shared the gospel? Eventually. Be near to sinners. God saved sinners. Jesus calls sinners. And we know that's true because he called you. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.